1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
2: Biden this morning was leading Donald Trump by small margins in three states that will be critical in deciding the outcome of the presidential election. Now, they just announced won Michigan and Wisconsin, but Democrats are waiting on Arizona and Nevada to put the electoral votes over the edge for a Biden win. With that said, Republicans are already requesting recounts. So, how would that even work? Well, Ben Chian, author of OMG, WTF Does the Constitution Say, joins us right now to get into that. Thanks again for being here.
3: Thanks so much, yeah.
2: I know uh, you are surviving, I hope.
3: I am I am getting by. I watch too much CNN, so I will probably need to detox at some point.
2: Oh, then just switch channels. Watch MSNBC. That's a good dis- detox. <laughs>
4: That's
3: true. I guess I guess that is one option.
2: <laughs> so, Ben, what's the process of a recount right now? How would that work?
3: So, you know, it really goes back to the fundamental uh, fact that states are largely the ones that run our elections, even at the federal level, even though in the Constitution, Congress can uh, override a, a state state law around the times, places and manner of elections, it really is up to each state and they have their own rules. So, for example, in Florida and uh, Georgia, you know, uh, races that are automatically uh, races that are within a certain percentage point, I believe it's half a percent in uh, uh, Georgia. I'm not exactly sure about Florida, but um, within a certain margin would trigger an automatic recount.
4: Hmm. So um, Donald Trump's recount strategy doesn't really seem like the smartest plan as he's trying to sue. um, And also, well, he's trying to sue to try to stop counting in one state while trying to get a recount in another state. Uh, But what's the point here? What do you think? Well,
3: I think it's odd that you would want to not count the votes in one state and you would want to count the votes and recount them in <laughs> other states. I think if you were trying to get an accurate count, you would want every state to uh, meticulously count, and you would probably be re- requesting recounts in. Multiple states. So that that process is, is definitely confusing to me, um, but it is going to come down to every state's own laws around recounts. And like I said, some states have automatic recounts within a certain percentage uh, margin and some don't. But there could be recounts, you know, if there is a, a, a contest or a controversy in a state um, or, you know, some sort of uh, uh, controversy around like vote by mail fraud claims or whatever it is. But it would be up to each state's own process for recounts.
2: Yeah. Ben Chien, again, joins us, author of OMGWTF, Does the Constitution Say, as we talk about recounts happening right now. So as this happens, how long would it take and how much is this going to delay the results?
3: Well, it could take uh, a while, depending on the scope of the, uh, the recount. You know, sometimes it could be just a count in a single county. Uh, some states, it could end up being the entire state uh, that is that is handling the recount. And so, um, you know, it could take anywhere from a day or two to, to, to several days.
4: Now, um, I want to kind of go back into the history aspect of this, right? Because when we look at the Bush and Gore recount that happened back in 2000, what's the difference here?
3: So in 2000, the Supreme Court stopped uh, the the recount, and the logic behind it was pretty strange. They used the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to say that, you know, because the state procedures for recounts are so different, um, or sorry, the county procedures are so different in the recount from one to another, um, doing so could violate... Uh, equal protection clause and a a bit of a strange reading of an amendment that was ratified in 1868 to uh, uh, make sure that uh, African-Americans weren't being uh, targeted with certain laws and um, laws were being uh, enforced unfairly on African-Americans. So a very strange reading of that amendment and applying it to the Bush-Gore recount. But um, as far as comparing that to the current situation, um, you know, again, it comes down to whatever the updated laws are 20 years after the fact. So it really comes down to whatever the state and the county individually, um, you know, dictate.
2: Yeah. and And is it just the Republicans fighting for this or are Democrats doing that as well right now?
3: Um, I've heard more and and this just comes down to my own media diet I've heard more about uh, questions around recounts from uh, the Trump campaign challenging the results than I have from uh, the biden campaign because right now you have you know a lot of results that just haven't come in yet I mean Pennsylvania mm-hmm. still has a million outstanding True. ballots so it's very it would be very odd to request a recount when the results haven't even come in yet. Um, I think it's important to wait for all of the absentee results to come in. And different states, again, have different rules. You know, in some states, if you don't receive the absentee ballots by the actual day of the election, yesterday, then it doesn't matter. They don't count. Some states, it's just postmarked. Some states have an extension to uh, deal with it, you know, multiple days after the fact. In North Carolina, for example, they have until November 20th to, uh, you know, tabulate the results. All right.
2: Well, Ben, you're going to stick around with us uh, because after this, Trump has been riling up his basing that the election is a Fraud being stolen by Democrats. And we're going to get into how social media is handling this flurry of false information being pushed post election. That's next. Unsurprisingly, Trump began to claim victory and say the Democrats were stealing the election in the wee hours of the morning.
4: Of course, we were. The Democrats are the big back boogeyman. We
1: were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. Yeah! <laughs> our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots. Four o'clock in the morning and the rest.
2: Okay. So, after those controversial statements, there's been a big push to claim that the continued counting of the ballots is voter fraud. It's riled up his base and forced both social media networks, the media, and the Democrats to stand their ground against false claims in an extremely tight race. And back with us is Ben Sheehan, who's the author of OMG WTF Does the Constitution say? Thanks for jumping in today.
3: Of course. Thanks for having me back.
2: So when you saw that statement, that clip, I was watching that live. I was like, are you for real? I mean, it wasn't surprising. It felt like this was going to be his strategy. But to hear it come out of his mouth was just like, I don't even know what to say.
3: Yeah, I feel like I've been expecting this for uh, a while. And I think it's, it's, yeah, it it is one thing to sort of telegraph it and the other to actually uh, act upon it. So I I definitely wasn't uh, uh, surprised. I think the strangest thing, again, is is referring to voter fraud as, as counting ballots um is is extremely strange but um that aside i i just think that you know it so it makes it just shows that when he says something, he's he's going to back on it.
4: Well, one thing that I thought was interesting is he's saying that Democrats are trying to steal the election, but Republicans refused to allow Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan to make changes to rules when it came to counting the mail-in ballots earlier. So why is that kind of not being connected in the two? And also, he did tell his supporters to not do the mail-ins. <laughs>
3: Right, and he and and the idea is that you know and look, I I'm just guessing here. I don't know. I don't have any connections to the the, the Trump campaign You're uh, or lucky. any insight. But well, <laughs> I, guess, I guess I am. Um, but uh, I I do think that by making it a partisan issue, whether or not you vote in person early or you vote by mail, um, you know, it segments the the votes for one party in one category and the votes for the other in another, and then you can therefore you know. Basically, control or uh, stifle or uh, amplify one of those buckets of votes. So, um, you know, and this, you say the same, you see the same thing happen with the lawsuits, you know, trying to uh, limit the extensions of when people can count votes until, and, you know, it it, it does seem um, that in some ways it's just focusing on the recount, but in other ways it's really trying to not count.
2: Right. And, you know, something is wrong when conservative pundit Ben Shapiro goes against Trump. He tweeted, no, Trump has not already won the election and it is deeply irresponsible for him to say he has. So what does this say about how Republicans even see all of this going?
3: Well, you know, I think there is a there is a a, I guess we've all sort of been waiting for where that line is. and I think we're starting to get an indication of it that flat out saying that you won the election when you didn't and nothing has been uh, uh, has come in to show that you have. Uh, is a line that some people are not willing to, to cross. And, and Ben Shapiro is certainly not the only um, uh, conservative that has come out and said that. of uh, Brexit forum on CNN and a bunch of other people have said the same. So um, I think it's just too early to tell. And we still have millions of ballots left to count.
4: Yeah, Donald Trump. Actually, there is a newsletter, uh, not a newsletter, but an email that the campaign sent out that basically said this. The left wants to undermine the election and we need you to fight back with that type of messaging from emails to social media. Do you think that we should be worried about chaos breaking out?
3: Yes, absolutely, and I think we've already seen chaos starting to break out. I mean, there are people who are trying to storm uh, um, uh, a county clerk office in Detroit right now, trying to break in and, uh, and make sure that the ballots are quote-unquote being counted fairly. Even though inside uh, the clerk's office, they have um, you know Republicans, Democrats, and independent um, arbiters and 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 monitors watching the, the the recount. It's it's very eerie of what happened in 2000, where in um, uh, in in Florida and Miami, you had a, a group of people show up and uh, you know try to break into a county clerk's office and monitor the recount and you know potentially do God knows what. So it is very dangerous. It is very frightening, and we should take it very seriously.
2: Yeah. Well, Ben, thank you again for being with us today. We appreciate it.
3: It's my pleasure.
2: That's Ben Chien, the author of OMG WTF Does the Constitution Say. Now, coming up, the results of the controversial Uber and Lyft proposition decided yesterday. We discussed that and what that says about the future of the gig economy next in two minutes. One of the controversial propositions that got national attention was Prop 22. And guess what? Californians voted to approve Proposition 22, and that allows Uber, Lyft and other app-based companies to classify their drivers as contractors rather than as employees who would get benefits and labor protections.
4: Yeah, I think the the bad thing about this, right, is that unfortunately California is trying to group freelancers all in like one thing, right? They're trying to make it seem like freelancers all do the same jobs and they need the same protections and they need the same uh, rights. And I think... That's what's confusing about this. And a lot of people um, even kind of looking into this decision are even, you know, saying that this is one of the most like poorly written, written and vague uh, rulings that they've ever seen.
2: It's not good. The problem is this is all very nuanced. This is a new time. Right. We've never dealt with jobs like this. Right. And so with that, you need to create new laws to adjust to that and also adjust to the fact that we're in a pandemic, right? And if you're going to require your workers to be on the front line, they should have protections and health insurance probably right now as well. Yeah,
4: and it's so, okay, so I tried to take a poll on, on Twitter to see, like, if you're in California, were you for AB5 or uh, or Prop 22? And a lot of people are coming at me saying that I worded it wrong oh, okay. because saying, basically, my poll can't be answered because if you're for AB5, that means you're against Prop twenty two. Yes. And someone said employees should be employees with all the benefits and the obligations from employers that comes with that. And yes, this means businesses have to pay workers, cover expenses, benefits, and more.
2: Well, yeah, to be clear, with Prop 22 passing, it exempts the ride sharing companies from California's E B five, which as you mentioned is a law that went into effect earlier this year and requires gig economy companies to reclassify many independent contractors as employees. And as employees' drivers, would have had a right to benefits like minimum wage, health insurance, overtime pay, sick leave, and a right to form a union. And you know how much money Uber, Lyft, and some of these big giants gig economy companies spent on trying to push this? $185 million.
4: So what? Close to That's basically, if you want to round it up, close to $200 million that they could have just used to pay,
2: it right? Was, yeah, it was the most expensive ballot initiative in the state's history. And... They succeeded. And actually, I want to play a clip from Sherry Murphy, who is from the Gig Workers Rising organization. And here she is reflecting on the proposition.
4: What I know about uh, Lyft and Uber's track history is that, you know, California is the fifth largest economy and it's unlikely um, that they would leave, and um, economists have spoken that actually they can be sustainable. What they could have done is spent this $200 million in given the drivers and um, what they deserve, which is sick leave and unemployment insurance um, in the middle of a pandemic, and what they're doing is shirking their responsibility. You know, to be honest, I think this idea, and I I, I feel like I'm seeing this also, if you live in uh, California, they uh, a lot of people voted against uh, rent control, right? And I think what it's really kind of telling what it says about democracy altogether and kind of the state of this country is that we're really only in stuff like for ourselves. It's kind of really selfish. We're not really thinking about other folks. We're not really thinking about if folks are okay or not okay. And I don't know, it's an issue. But I do think that there's something to be said about this road that AB5 is. It, it doesn't really seem like it is kind of the roadmap. map. It doesn't really seem like it is the plan and they need to come up with something better because if not, other states are not going to adapt like adopt it.
2: Well, the bigger worry is that with Prop 22 being passed is that they can win companies like Uber and Lyft political fights in the rest of the states and probably Congress. And labor unions recognize this too uh, because others will try to use this as a way to classify their contractors as just contractors and not employees, right? They'll say, well, it passed in California, so we get to to be exempt, too. And that can, as you can imagine, be very problematic. Uh, and so, of course, yeah, there you go. It'll be interesting to see if this impacts drivers, if they decide, like, hey, peace out, Uber and Lyft. Not going to do this anymore. Yeah,
4: and it's not like Uber's really going to go anywhere. Uber and Lyft are going to go anywhere. I mean, California is a huge moneymaker regardless.
2: Yeah, but it will create possibly lower labor standards across the board for yeah. all this, which is sad.
4: And who's riding in an Uber or Lyft during the middle of COVID?
2: I, I mean don't know if I
4: could do people. it. I know, but I don't know but if it, I th- could do it. But it is
2: lower. People aren't doing it as much. Yeah, which
4: also sucks for drivers. <laughs> yep.
2: All right. Sorry out there. We know a lot of Lyft and Uber drivers listen to us, so we're sending you lots of love. Okay? Uh, coming up, how other countries are reacting to the U.S. presidential race. That is next on What's Trending This Hour. Now, coming up on the show, what countries legalized marijuana and psychedelics yesterday? We're going to be talking about that. Mm -hmm. And the latest polling results, we've got a pollster who hasn't lost their job yet.
4: Is there anything else that makes you more excited than psychedelics?
2: I was already moving forward with the pollster. No, I know. I'm just saying.
4: I just want to know. I'm intrigued
2: and I'm curious. And the FDA is Mm. looking at psychedelics to treat PTSD, trauma, Mm. anxiety, and depression.
4: You're like the druggy Bill Nye the science guy. If,
2: if I was actually
4: doing that professionally, I'd be making much more money. Probably. probably. Oh, for sure. But that's not the path you went. So it's sorry, you lost. I'll just talk about it.
2: <laughs> okay, let's get into some what's trending this hour. And the and the, uh, my life is still young, so perhaps. Uh, you sure young is the right adjective? Yeah. I don't know. It's evolving. <laughs> so uh, what's trending this hour? As the world watches the U.S. elections, many leaders are speaking out. And here's UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying he won't he won't agree with Donald Trump's suggested the suggestion that the U.S. election results could be fraudulent. Can I
0: start with the elections in the United States? Whatever the results, will the Prime Minister join me in saying that it's not for a candidate to decide which votes do and don't count, or when to stop counting? The next president must be the free and fair choice of the American people.
3: Well, Mr. Speaker, in the answer to his... Uh, opening question. Uh, of course, uh, we don't comment as a UK government on the democratic processes of our of our friends and, uh, and allies, and I don't think he would. I don't think, in all seriousness, he would expect uh, he would expect otherwise.
2: So, Boris, uh, by the way, Boris that Johnson. that Boris of the second part? So, the first one was uh, someone asking the question that Boris was the second part. It sounded like someone with a speech impediment.
4: Like, I don't know. It, it sounded really, like, gibberish. I
2: thought it was more felt like we were watching, like, a movie. Like, a Victorian movie. Like, here, here. No,
4: Game of Thrones and yeah. uh, the other show was really much better than whatever that was.
2: Well, Boris Johnson, as we know, has been an ally of Trump's in the past. But yet, he's being called out by his colleagues saying, you're not going to agree with this guy, are you? And he said, of course not. Of course. I... uh, He also was against COVID. Remember, he didn't believe in it. And and then he caught
4: it. it. I mean, so it's a running thing for men like him. You know what they say, birds of a feather
2: flock together. Well, residents living in and around uh, this town in India, it's the ancestral village of Democratic vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris. They gathered at a temple yesterday to pray for her victory ahead of the election. The video is coming out of this town. I mean, they're taking pictures of Trump... Doing things to that picture. They're praying. I mean, she, she's got a lot of positivity on her side. That's all I can say. So that's coming uh, from India. And uh, ballots marked with Sharpie pens are valid in Arizona, according to Arizona election officials and fact checkers. Sharpies are allowed to be used on those ballots and do not invalidate those ballots. Uh, the Maricopa County Elections Department said their voting centers prefer the use of Sharpies so the ink does not smudge when ballots are counted. That's some news right out there. And House Minority Leader Representative Kevin McCarthy praised the work uh, President Trump has done for the country and the Republican Party and predicted that after the final vote counts are complete, the president will be reelected. And uh, he continued on at a news conference today uh, talking about how positive things were going and how he was basically going to win. And reporters questioned, you know, uh, does he agree with the fact that Trump is saying that the election is a fraud. And he said he just wants a fair count. He just wants a fair count. And yet we know he's also fighting the fair count. So,
4: You know, there is so much news happening on a daily basis. And I feel like I'm also like over here reading stuff as well where I'm just like, I have no clue what you're talking about.
2: Well, there's a clip I actually wanted to play, but we can't play it. So instead, I'm saying
4: that. And I'm trying to be as like a professional as possible, but I'm just like, I lost you there, Basically...
2: Uh, what's happening is Republicans are saying, oh, it's fair what's happening. You know, like, he just wants a fair count, but then they're also saying the fair count is fraudulent. Yeah, we're here. We're connecting. We're connecting. Doesn't make sense. (laughs) Okay, uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan?
4: Now, this is something that I'm paying attention to, because remember, I I told you about Lady Gaga's father tweeting his support for Trump, despite, you know, the president dissing her. Um, Basically, all he did was voice his support uh, just after 9 p.m. on Election Day. All he tweeted was at real Donald Trump. Um, about an hour later, he uh, cryptically tweeted, you may have noticed my political and spiritual beliefs are different. Liberty and freedom of my choice um, would not be political. Um Which I don't even know what that really means, Uh, but I guess he has that in common with Lady Gaga, where oftentimes he just probably say things that it doesn't really make sense. Um, But on Monday, Trump trashed Lady Gaga. If you don't remember, here is a clip of that.
1: Gaga. I could tell you plenty of stories. I could tell you stories about Lady Gaga. I know a lot of stories about Lady Gaga.
2: God. Gaga. Gaga.
4: <laughs> so, yeah, it's actually wild to me. You know, I think uh, Lady Gaga and her father have not really had a great relationship. But how would you feel? I know you're kind of close with your dad. How would you feel if your dad did something like this? If, the like, uh, the most powerful man in the, the country kind of came for you, but he still sh- supported that, like— him
2: in a way. Is that weird? Yeah, I would have a talk and then (laughs) I would have a talk. With my dad. (laughs) Including, I bet you, Lady Gaga probably financially supports her dad too. And I'd be like listen, I'm
4: gonna cut you off. Well he did say on Father's Day she only gave him a pack of Oreos. So maybe he's a little resentful. Maybe, which I would be too. Honestly, I literally helped birth you, and all you gave me was Oreos. Anyway, we're That's gonna. That's move- what you've got if you support Trump. Yeah, true, very true. He deserves. Uh, karma is a b word. Um, now we're gonna move on to some Real Housewives news because I did not get to talk about this yesterday, and I have been wanting to so much. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Erica Jane and her husband Tom uh, Girardi. They're broke. They're breaking up after 21 years, which basically means this next season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is going to be epic and iconic and you know anytime someone breaks up with their husband it's like they're going down their you know they're like living phase
2: see just like you say make fun of my interest in psychedelics i get to make your fun of your interest in those housewives reality shows sure it sounds like you're half asleep
4: <laughs> Half asleep? yeah like it was like yeah i'm just you know, making money I, <laughs> well, anyway if you want to know more about that story because i honestly cannot wait because she came out with a statement saying why you know and the big thing about this relationship is there's a 33 year old uh, age difference in between them so like she's the youngest and he's like really really old that's
2: not surprising that just reflects other relationships we see True. It
4: is Beverly Hills, but um, if you want to know more about that, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and expect more T-Report coming up next hour. And by the
2: way, if you're wondering, I am tired like everyone else in this country right now. Thanks for calling it out. I'm with you if you're tired, okay? Don't listen to Ryan. Jesus, so I'm support. with you. Now coming tired up, Alliance the, Club. the exit polls have given us all major anxiety for the past 24 hours. So what are the latest takeaways in this extremely close race? We've got those answers next in two minutes. According to The New York Times, the current electoral votes have Biden at 253 and Trump at 214. Biden won Michigan and Wisconsin, and he's close to winning Arizona and Nevada. Uh, back with us is Doug Usher, a leading strategist and pollster at Forbes Tate Partners. Thanks again for being here today.
1: Thanks, Yara.
2: I mean, tw- I, we're, I guess you were here 24 hours ago, and it seems like things have changed.
1: Definitely. Um, things have moved pretty solidly in Biden's direction. Since we talked last night, he brought Michigan over, he brought Wisconsin over. A lot of the a lot of the places have called Arizona, but that's still a little bit dicey. And then you're watching Pennsylvania trend in his direction. But just with what he has for sure, Wisconsin and Michigan, if he also gets Nevada and Arizona, as seems likely, he would then be at two seventy.
4: So online um, today, obviously, the New York Times, they came out with an exit poll where they talked to about 15,000 folks. And it really blew minds because we started to kind of see a demographic situation from race to gender to male, female, all that good stuff. Yeah. Right. And so right now... The black male vote for Trump increased from 13 percent in 2016 to 18 percent this year. And the black female vote for Trump doubled from 4 percent in 2016 to 8 percent this year. Is that something that we could say is something we should take to heart? Because it doesn't really seem like obviously 15,000 people versus the millions of folks who actually voted. um, That's something that we should really even be thinking about.
1: I think you definitely should be thinking about it. Only, in, only for this reason is that African Americans formed the core of every demographic, every democratic victory nationally and in nearly every state. And they built that because they've been winning between eighty-five and ninety percent. Of the African American vote as high as 95 under Obama. When the tale is told of this, he's, you know, uh, Biden's still going to get 85 to 88 percent of the black vote. But they have to maintain that and have to maintain turnout because, as you can see, we're at razor's edge every election and every vote counts.
4: Yeah, I guess I would push back on that because it, I feel like the narrative is that there's this black um, kind of like this, there's this huge wave. But really all this, that tells me from The New York Times is that, you know, black men predominantly vote Democrats. And there obviously is like kind of a small percentage. But I think what was also alarming was uh, that white women Uh, They actually outdid themselves from 2016, and they came out in numbers where they were voting, I believe it was 56 or 54% um, higher than it was in 2016. Now, that was kind of shocking to me, especially when Donald Trump was trying to get that suburban vote. Uh, What about you? Did you think that was kind of shocking?
1: Yeah, I think that what's going on, I mean, to me that's true, and I think what was also shocking is you get outside of the big cities, And Donald Trump isn't winning 60 percent. He isn't winning 70 percent. He's winning 75 and 80 percent of voters that nobody cares about and nobody talks to. And he's winning them and they are turning out every time. And so you look at these maps and the red votes come in. These are places that Obama lost by 10 points. And so we call them, you know, you potentially dismiss them as being racist rednecks. But that's not true. They have found something in Trump that they love, and he's found something in them. So you've got white women, of course, who I mean, have come, it could out, be racism. come
4: out. It could be the common but, bond of racism. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I'm not saying it's not. You can't say that, but I will, because you your professional. Oh, I can say that, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess the only point is, like, you look at these different groups, and when you go from 60% support to 80% support, that's where you start bringing home the votes. And that's what carried into a pretty strong victory in Texas, in Ohio and Iowa, places that, you know, you looked at the polls, you thought were going to be competitive, weren't competitive at all.
2: Yeah. Again, we're talking to Doug Usher, who's a leading strategist and pollster mm-hmm. from Forbes Tate Partners. Uh, also, the exit polls showed the vote came down to pandemic versus the economy, which is surprising because you, you think people who are Republican, they vote with their pockets. But what, what does that say about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, if you were worried about the pandemic, and that was your top issue, you voted for Biden. If you're worried about the economy, and that was your top issue, you voted for Trump. And that was the strategy of both campaigns, right? Biden wanted you to ask the question, who's going to do better for the pandemic? And Trump wanted to say, who's going to bring this economy back strong again? What I think was really interesting is I read a, a piece that talked about why did... Why did so many voters come back to Trump from the undecided camp? Mm -hmm. And the answer is because even though the coronavirus is such a serious problem, people either knew people who lost jobs or were more worried about losing jobs than they were who knew people that died from coronavirus or knew somebody who had coronavirus. That really matters, and I think he really tapped into that.
2: Yeah, I mean, and you look at the map, and I just think what people see is how tight and divided this country is, right? And like, what will that say for the next election and how possibly Democrats approach that?
4: For me, it told me that everyone in this country is selfish mm-hmm. and that they don't care about issues that don't actually affect them. So if they didn't have someone that they knew that yep. died from the pandemic, if they didn't have someone who was shot and killed by a police officer or then why would they need to? They're voting in their, best in their if, own interest. If Democrats
2: want to possibly win at a bigger margin, how do they approach these things? Yeah, I
1: mean, that's the real issue here right now. I mean, as long as I've been in politics and you know, it basically started in 96, you know, these national elections are close every single time. Yeah, Obama won by seven points, but seven points is not much. We used to have elections where people would win by 20, 30 points. Hmm. We keep being divided year after year after year. And I blame it, first of all, on pollsters who sort of divide up the electorate. Hmm. But I also, you know, you have to blame it on politicians and you got to blame it on people. that sort of has turned this from, you know, something they believe into a little bit more like a sport. I mean, I don't mean to get all philosophical here, but it's not a coincidence that every time we're divided 50-50. It's just really amazing.
2: Yeah. Well, Doug Usher, thanks again. And hope hopefully you have some time with your family tonight. <laughs>
1: Yeah, okay. get some sleep, too.
2: Exactly. Uh, thanks. See you soon. Now, uh, Doug Usher is again a leading strategist and pollster from Forbes Tate Partners. Coming up, Election Day was also a major rejection of the war on drugs. What states legalized marijuana and psychedelics? That's next in two minutes. During the 2016 race, many states failed to legalize marijuana. But it seems like things have changed in 2020.
4: Honey, they sure have. And <laughs> I don't know if it's because 2020 has been a hell of a year and everyone's just like, where's the drugs? Right.
2: <laughs> Yesterday in Arizona, Montana, New Jersey and South Dakota, voters legalized marijuana for recreational purposes. Uh, In Mississippi and South Dakota, uh, separate from the full legalization measure, voters legalized medical marijuana. So what does this mean for what has been consistently called the war on drugs? Well, joining us right now is Ismail Ali Policy and Advocacy Council for the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, also known as MAPS. Thanks for being here.
5: Hi there, quite a quite an important time.
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, and I am sure you had a lot to celebrate today. Were you uh, surprised? Did you think this was now was the time finally because you've been fighting an uphill battle?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that drug policy reform reformers across the United States did experience both some surprise but also some affirmation. I think that we've known for some years now that drug policy reform is a surprisingly bipartisan and, dare I say, even multi-partisan issue in the sense that there isn't like a single political ideology that's associated with, you know, attempting to end or transition away from the war on drugs and prohibition. So I think what we saw yesterday over the course of the many uh, bills and votes that passed regarding drug policy broadly all over the country was that regardless of the many, many nuances of the ideologies involved, Um, The war on drugs, like you said, quote unquote, um, is clearly failing. Some people are jokingly saying that drugs won the war on drugs. Uh, You know, policymakers are starting to realize that their constituents want to try something different with respect to how they approach drug criminalization and use.
4: What's so interesting is, you know, I would love to know your thought on why do you think politicians, especially Democrats, are kind of scared to touch, um, you know, drug policy reform, especially like stronger drug policy reform?
5: I think that's true. And unfortunately, I think that's a pretty big mistake. I think one of the things we saw over we've seen over the last four years is an increasing bipartisanship with criminal justice reform, whereas for a long time, any sort of reform was kind of in the camp of the Democrats. And then if you look at like the 90s, early 2000s, kind of the focus on law and order and, and in my mind, kind of associating more with what we have seen to be uh, more right leaning or conservative kind of criminal justice frameworks. Uh, one of the really interesting things we noticed with the, both the presidential campaign and other campaigns within the Democratic Party was that, as you said, there isn't really like a resounding support for drug policy or or marijuana legalization or so on. You kind of see people still kind of hedging their bets on a more law and order oriented uh, criminal justice approach. And I think that if there's anything that we can see as a result of these uh, shifts in the drug policy kind of initiatives and reforms themselves is that, Whoever comes out in favor of drug policy reform is likely also going to get the benefit of an electorate that sees beyond party when it comes to these kind of reforms. So, yeah, the Democratic Party has definitely not leaned into it as much as I think people assume. And I think there is an assumption that the Democratic Party is more progressive on drug policy, which is not always the case.
2: Yeah, definitely. Ismail Ali, Policy and Advocacy Council for MAPS joins us. Um, I'm not going to say the full thing because it's very long. Uh, But I mean, yeah, I I think that people are surprised because in the end, if you think about Republicans, it's all about the money. And actually, there's a lot of money to be made when a state decriminalizes marijuana.
5: Yeah, I mean, I would caveat that a bit to say that what we're seeing is not just decriminalization, but we're seeing legalization, which... You know, as a policy, it kind of implies that we're actually creating a regulated system, a regulated economic system where people can buy and sell and participate in an economy. So I fully agree. Like if you look at what happened in uh, Oregon with Measure 110, which decriminalized the small amount in the possession of a number of different drugs, all drugs, in fact, there you're going to see less of an opportunity for a massive like, economic shift. Um, in for example, how we deal with all drugs as opposed to what it's gonna look like in a state that legalized or regulated marijuana and actually created an economic system around it. And that's where you see kind of the big bucks start to potentially roll in.
4: Yeah, and let's talk about, because I feel like with a conversation like this, um, when drugs are not decriminalized, it disproportionately affects black and brown folks. Um absolutely. Can you kind of talk about that, how we could see this affect black and brown folks already imprisoned for pr- uh, possession charges in these states that are now kind of legalizing?
5: Right, so it, it definitely depends. So it's absolutely true that if you look at the drugs that are primarily, being enforced. So cannabis, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine. If you look at the ones that are kind of seen as quote-unquote drugs of abuse, the drugs that kind of, uh, I would say, are more relevantly decriminalized under Measure 110 in Oregon, as opposed to others like, let's say, psychedelics, which are important to also decriminalize, but don't have the same criminal justice impact because you don't see the same numbers of people incarcerated. I think the actual kind of like real impact as far as, you know, marijuana legalization or decrim or so on for people who are currently incarcerated is going to depend on the state. So one of the big issues that came up um, in the last you know, two to four years around marijuana legalization is this question of expungement. So unfortunately we don't live in a paradigm where just because something is illegal or excuse me, something is made legal now, it is retroactively also made legal. So there are going to be states, and this has already been the case in some states that have already legalized, where you can have a legal business, you can make money off of marijuana or off of these products, but people are going to stay in jail uh, mm. because they were arrested prior to that legalization for a charge related ah. to that drug. So it's really important that yeah. constituents in those states fight for not just expungement, but what we're really pushing for within the reform community is automatic expungement. The cost of that expungement should be on the state. Um, it, should not be the, you know, it should not be on the individual who was incarcerated to actually have to go yeah. through that process. And, you know, it's, in some ways, it's it's easier said than done. But with, with technology nowadays, it's absolutely possible for automatic expungement to be included in some of these bills. Wow. And um, although not everyone, not every bill does include that, I think that moving forward, that's something that the legislatures and the constituents really need to push for, because otherwise we're going to end up with this kind of double system where people can economically profit, but there isn't actually a shift in the lives of people who've been incarcerated, which is uh, really unethical and um, just totally wrong.
2: So, Ismael, we're going to take a break because we do have some questions about psychedelics, because there were some shifts in the psychedelic world as of yesterday on Election Day 2, so stay tuned for that conversation. Don't go anywhere. Many states yesterday, as of election day, legalized both marijuana but also some psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And back with us is Ismail Ali, Policy and Advocacy Council for the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Now, they do all the actual studies around um, the use of these drugs, and they're very much legitimizing it. The work they're doing is incredible. Please check them out M A P S, like the word maps. So, Ismail, thanks again for joining us.
5: Absolutely. Thank you. Happy to be here.
2: So before we move into the fun stuff, the psychedelics, I
4: really wanted to talk about kind of the Bible Belt, right? Because I'm from Nashville, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mississippi's not too far, and I was so shocked by them kind of even passing it to be for medical uh, usage. Do you think there is probably going to be a chance for it to move to recreational purposes? Or do you think conservatives are like, we'll give you this, but not, (laughs) you know, moving it? Yeah. I think
5: they're going to take it one step at a time. That was one of the things that I think the drug policy reform movement really realized in the process of getting to adult use in more kind of quote unquote liberal states like California or Colorado, where this, there's a way where you can show a group of people, you can show the state people within the state that, you know, the world is the the sky is not going to fall if they create legal access to marijuana, even if it's only a medical context. And at this point, it's become so clear from an evidence-based perspective that there are things that marijuana can' help with that are not actually that uh, are not very well treated by Western medicine or other kinds of medicine that frankly, I think that all people, including conservatives, are not only becoming more open to criminal justice reform because of the big shift toward kind of more bipartisan criminal justice reform policies over the last four years, but also realizing that if you know there is enough, economic benefit and, you know, not as much of a kind of social moral impact as I think people, especially conservatives, tend to assume will happen with something like cannabis passing, Um, then we get to a point where we're at now where it's like, okay, we'll try this one step um, to see what happens. So
2: marijuana obviously remains illegal under federal law. Will we see a time where it's legalized federal?
5: That's a good question. I mean, you know, people have been, uh, let's just say that for the last 20 years, You've heard predictions that it'll get, you know, passed within the next two years and also that it's going to take 50 years. So it's really hard to say. I mean, every year we get closer and I think the MORE Act that's currently um, being discussed in Congress and other related, you know, there, there's been an increased number of bills being put forward in Congress to actually scheduled or to actually um, significantly impact marijuana policy at the federal level. Um, I do feel encouraged because we're now at a point where you know, we have a critical mass of states that have legalized adult use more than half of legalized medical use um, it's it's getting harder and harder for the federal government to justify its position um, of keeping it illegal in the way that it does uh, and the federal government is notoriously uh, slow to change certain policies and unfortunately as much as i think it's possible that you know drug prohibition or excuse me marijuana prohibition at the federal level could change in the next year I also, unfortunately, wouldn't be surprised if it took, you know, longer than that in the multiple years.
2: We've got to before we say goodbye to you, we can't have you leave without talking about psychedelics. (laughs) Where did we get to as of yesterday with the psychedelic space?
5: So first off, voters in the city of Washington, D.C., voted to deprioritize enforcement of psychedelic plants and fungi, which is a big deal because unlike the other three cities where similar, quote unquote, decrim nature, kind of initiatives have moved forward, um, this I-81 actually went to the whole city of D.C. So it was actually, the you know, the entire city that voted on that quite resoundingly um, that they wanted to move forward with, cre- you know, decriminalizing access to these substances, which is huge.
2: That's shrooms, and by the, the way, same, fungi. That,
5: that, so that's like, yeah, it's going to be, it's actually four, it's actually multiple categories of plants, including fungi. Got it. So it, it also includes things like ayahuasca and ibogaine oh. and eboga and other um, entheogenic or let's say plant-based or plant-derived psychedelics. Um, so it would not include something like LSD, but it would include everything that kind of falls into the plant category. And what did pass that was only focused on psilocybin was Measure 109 in Oregon, which created a system for legal psilocybin services. So facilitated mm-hmm. uh, services where a person can work mm-hmm. with a practitioner in like a medical adjacent or kind of similar to a therapeutic context. OK, um, where they're actually doing it with the intention of treatment. demand that one is focused on psilocybin. But it's important to note that in Measure 109, psilocybin itself is not decriminalized. So it's closer to what we saw with um, almost like Prop 64 in California, where it created like a legal regulated industry with licenses and so on where people could participate in it. Um, but it doesn't it didn't fully, fully decriminalize the plant.
4: You must really like drugs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You must really, you know so much. I'm so impressed (laughs) by your encyclopedia
2: brain. I was about to say one last thing. We do need a wrap, though.
5: Totally. Okay, great. I I will say this one last thing, which is that it's really important to pay attention to measure 110 in Oregon, which is the other kind of one that decriminalized all drugs. And that actually is significant for psychedelics because it also decriminalized MDMA, LSD, and mushrooms, and all those things. So that that feels like a bigger shift. And that's something we're going to want to keep an eye on in the next couple of years to see exactly, you know, whether or not we're okay. ready for a fully decriminalized system or not. And
2: that's in Oregon.
5: That's in Oregon, Okay, yeah.
2: Oregon's leading the way. Well, thank you so much, Ismael Ali. You are a go-to now for all of this. We appreciate it.
5: Happy <laughs> to help. Thanks for calling.
2: Yeah, Ismael is, again, the Policy and Advocacy counsel for the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. We'll be back with more of Let's Go There right after this. Coming up on the show, QAnon's impact on the election because they did impact the election i mean there's two uh individuals who are elected who are QAnon conspiracy supporters we're going to be getting into that in just a bit plus we are celebrating some results for the lgbtq community in congress we're on edge about a lot today we don't know a lot today but yet there's still things we do know so let's celebrate what we do know and what we can control i
4: like that
2: there you go that's a perspective
4: I had my mask on, I didn't realize.
2: (laughs) You know, it happens. It happens.
4: We're being safe in these streets.
2: Exactly. All right, let's get into some what's trending this hour. According to multiple journalists, state election officials in Pennsylvania have not yet certified results in the state. And as of this afternoon, there were still thousands of ballots remaining to be counted. Trump's campaign has said it is suing to temporarily stop the vote count in Pennsylvania, claiming lack of transparency. And back with us is uh, Shane Inspector, who's a lawyer on the ground there thanks for joining us tonight. Well, thank you. So what are you hearing uh, that's happening in Pennsylvania? And could this impact the results? I mean, it seems like he wants them to stop counting the vote. Is that going to happen?
6: No, the vote is going to keep being counted. There's no doubt about that. And there's also no doubt in my mind that when the votes are all counted, that Vice President Biden will win Pennsylvania.
4: Oh, now that's good news. But legally, though, Trump is trying to, uh, the Trump campaign is, is suing Pennsylvania. Does he actually have any uh, legal kind of leeway on that? Like, is that actually possible?
6: Yeah, he's got several lawsuits pending simultaneously. Uh, none has merit and uh, all will be defeated if they are maintained. So I'm not concerned about the litigation. There's just no beef to his charges of widespread voter fraud, either in Pennsylvania or anywhere else across the country.
4: But if that goes to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court is obviously Republican, don't we have something to worry about them kind of going in favor of him? And that's kind of what he would want?
6: Well, you know, Ryan, looking at what happened in 2000, I guess you're right about that. But I think that it's not going to happen. There's already a case that's pending in the U.S. Supreme Court with respect to the counting of mail ballots that arrive uh, after the election, and the Supreme Court declined to get involved. In fact, declined to get involved twice. Yeah. So I, I think they're very circumspect about getting involved yeah. uh, in, in uh, the, the intricacies of the, of the Pennsylvania process.
2: And and you mentioned Biden's going to win. Like, How is he going to win? By How closely you you feel pretty certain about this? Yeah, I think he's going to win
6: by about 100,000 votes. Uh, We still have 12 percent of the vote that's not reported. That's almost exclusively mailed ballots. He is uh, obtaining 78 percent of the mailed ballots on average across the state. That's because Democrats use the mailed ballots uh, uh, in great numbers. So when you do the math on that, uh, Biden will win the state and he will and it will not be especially close. He will, he will win the state by more than Trump won the state in 2016.
2: All right. Well, you heard it here on Let's Go There. Thank you so much for jumping in with us today.
6: You're welcome.
2: Uh, that was Sheen Inspector, who's a lawyer based out of Philadelphia. Now, let's continue, because we got an interesting clip that came out of Nevada. A man wearing a barbecue beer freedom tank top interrupted a press conference with the Registrar of Voters, at the Clark County Election Center in Nevada.
6: As I mentioned, we are not prepared to give that number. The off. Biden crime family is stealing the election. The media is covering up.
1: The Biden crime family is this election. The media is covering it up. The Biden crime family is this election. Uh,
2: and for certain, uh, Barbecue Beer and Freedom is probably going to become a meme of this election cycle. <laughs> the tank top. I already see the merchandise. Well, and first of all,
4: barbecue is not American. It's actually, it, its it, the history of it is uh, like Jamaican. It's actually a Caribbean thing, but that's just a history lesson for you all.
2: Yeah. Well, Nevada is currently at 86% of votes with 49.3% uh, for Biden, 48.7% for Trump, after suggesting that they may release additional results to today state officials in Nevada reverted to their original plan of updating results tomorrow at noon eastern all right okay that was what's trending this hour and coming up other results are in how qanon impacted the election race fun times that's next in 2 minutes marjorie taylor green has become the first supporter of the far right qanon conspiracy theory group to win a U.S. House seat. It's official. Mm -hmm. Uh, Green is a Republican businesswoman, and she was declared the winner in Georgia's 14th congressional district.
4: I don't know if I would really classify her as a businesswoman. You always say that
2: when I say that about her.
4: (laughs) You know, but okay.
2: She does business, okay? Business. (laughs) Well, Mike Rothschild is back with us. He's a journalist, researcher, and debunker of conspiracy theories. Thanks for joining us again.
0: Well, thanks for having me on again.
2: Now, with her election, what does this say about how mainstream these theories are getting, and its impact on politics?
0: Well, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, it's important to remember that she ended up running unopposed in a district that's one of the most conservative in America. So, you could have nominated a ham sandwich, and it probably would have gotten ninety percent of the Republican vote there. But, and they might do that next time.
2: Yeah, but for a sure. Comedian, it, okay. <laughs>
0: It's definitely a sign of the encroachment of QAnon and ideas like QAnon into the mainstream GOP. You know, the stuff that she espouses about conspiracy theories and some of these really inflammatory videos she's made, that's not stuff that the mainstream Republican Party would have publicly touched until pretty recently.
4: Well, what I'm interested in, you know, is now that she kind of has this place in power, do you think that she's going to be somewhat of a spokesperson? Is that kind of what QAnon believers would want from someone in her position?
0: You know, it's really weird. QAnon believers don't do a lot of active proselytizing. They don't really depend on figures to go on something like Fox News and espouse the gospel of Q. It's really much more about one-on-one personal interactions. But her, her uh, impact in the household is really going to depend on how visible she ends up being you know a lot of house members are really very anonymous they just sort of do their jobs and, and go about their day but you have those few that are on Fox News all the time those few that are on MSNBC all the time and if she ends up serving a couple of terms if she rises to a high level on a committee it's conceivable she could be on TV all the time and that's when the conspiracy theory ideas that she's really espoused for the last few years could start to become normalized?
2: Mm, yeah, that is somewhat scary. Again, we're talking to Mike Rothschild, who's a debunker of conspiracy theories. Uh, how much did we see Q as part of election day, or did we?
0: You know we we didn't see too much. It felt like uh, the the misinformation was really camped down. I think the social media companies did a really good job of preparing for this and and realizing what an absolute crap storm it was going to be and reacting proactively right now with the election still very much in the balance, but things looking good for Joe Biden, the movement is kind of in this weird phase where they are really sticking to the idea of Trump winning. You know, they're, they're really into this idea that there's been all kinds of fraud in Arizona and right. Pennsylvania and, you know, giant bags of ballots everywhere. So it hasn't really sunk in with these people that the plan they've been following is not really going to come to to fruition.
4: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting because if Biden wins, you know, people could lose confidence in the theory. But if Trump loses, it also could kind of motivate them more to continue to push the narrative. Do you think this is ever going to stop? And which one of these kind of, um, uh, I guess, the ways of thinking about it is more dangerous?
0: Well, I don't think it's ever really going to stop. You know, the the mythology of QAnon might change somewhat if Trump is out of power. You know, some of the particulars might change. But the idea of the conspiracy theories that have driven things like Q are eternal. This idea that there are powerful people at the highest levels of business and government. They're doing bad things to you. Q and Trump are fighting back against them. And the fight goes on and you can help. That's really the very basics of QAnon. You know, all of the other stuff is just ephemera. But this idea of fighting back against the, the people who are holding you down, that's very powerful and very compelling. And it's always been a part of our culture.
2: Yeah, but obviously, you know, when you put a name to it or it's almost like a marketing mm-hmm. campaign around something, it can create an impact in a different way, even though these ideas have been around
0: yeah the the brand of q is has become very powerful you know it's it's a very easily identifiable symbol for people who think the way that you do you know if you see somebody wearing a q t-shirt and you don't know what that is that doesn't matter to you but if you do know what it is it's like it means everything to you so i think it's such a powerful brand and and it's such a powerful mythology that i think it's going to stick with us for a while and if trump is out of power it will actually put the Q movement on a very familiar uh, playing field, which is being the losers. Uh, conspiracy theories are almost always about things that are going to be done to you and that you're powerless to do anything about. There's, there's a cabal that's, that's holding you down, running the world, and there's nothing you can do. Q is different in that it offers you a way to push back against them. And that's something I think people are really going to stick with.
2: All right. Well, Mike Rothschild, thanks again for being with us for this.
0: Oh, thank you for having me,
2: uh, Mike. Is a journalist, researcher, and debunker of conspiracy theories. Now, coming up, our election twenty twenty coverage continues, never ending, pretty much. We look <laughs> at the current state of affairs next in two minutes. We are wrapping up the show as we always do with our yes queen of the day.
4: Yes.
2: Queen. You know, we got to focus on what we can celebrate. And there is a lot to celebrate. A lot of firsts happened with this election. Let's start with this. The state of Missouri will, for the first time in its history, have a black woman representing it in Congress after Cory Bush's victory last night. Cory Bush.
4: Uh, I'm so obsessed with Cory Bush. She deserves all the bills. Um, because one, uh, if you watch Knock Down the House on Netflix, uh, it was mm-hmm. the story of the documentary about AOC and kind of the women around the 2016 kind of election cycle that were kind of just flooding was it 2016 2018. or 2018? 2018, yes. That were flooding um, the just the space of politics. And no one yeah. was used to it. AOC was obviously the main person who was getting a lot of news. But Cori Bush was also that same woman. She's been so active in the streets of her community for black lives. And she's even experienced uh, being so sick. Like, she's gone through a lot of illnesses, but still mm. using her platform to make sure that she shows up for people. And so I'm, I'm obsessed with her and everything that she does. Well, here she is. I'm this young black girl. I got, you know, wear braids in my head. I'm so unprofessional. I'm a nurse, you know, I'm a pastor. My last name is Bush. Like, let's start with that, you know.
2: Yeah, she's a single mom of two children, so it is amazing to see how much she has done to defeat Republican candidate Anthony Rogers and Libertarian candidate Alex Furman. She won the election for Missouri's first congressional district, so Yaz Queen to Cori Bush.
4: Yeah, and she said on her, um, uh, when she won... She Mm -hmm. said, as the first black woman, nurse, and single mother to represent Missouri in the U.S. Congress, let me just say this to all the black women, black girls, nurses, single mothers, essential workers this is our moment.
2: Oh, I love that. Uh, I'm obsessed with her. It's so good. Well, the number of trans state lawmakers doubled last night as well, and Sarah McBride made history as the first out transgender person to become a state senator in the U.S. in her state of Delaware. Here she is uh, making a, a winning speech at her outdoor party she had. I mentioned the love of my life, Andy Cray, tonight. I have, throughout this campaign, been comforted by him, inspired
0: by him. I am a better person because... I had the opportunity to know and love him, and tonight I am thinking about him and all of the LGBTQ people who did not live long enough to see...
2: Let's just continue that clip because she's about to say the LGBTQ people, oh, that lived, That was like an amazing honoring she was um, giving to the community, actually. <laughs>
4: All oh, right. Well, I, I mean, play that. Okay. either way, it's you. Can actually, we probably actually talked about it on our website, so you can go check it out on weirdchannelq.com yes, that is Or true. glad, you know, we had glad on yesterday. We had the president of glad on. If you want to revisit that, head over and check out our podcast as well. There's so much there for you to check up on because, honey, we're living in a historic time. Regardless of the negativity of wondering if Trump is about to be president or Joe Biden's about to slay it, we have the good things to think about, and I think that is a major one. And one of the major things I'm very proud about is the queer representation that we're seeing
2: oh yeah that's true that's why we are so excited tomorrow because the victory fund has been really behind a lot of this progress and we're going to be having someone from the victory fund joining us tomorrow to talk about how they created a path for lgbtq plus candidates across the country and what's happening moving forward yes we are uh, plus it's something that i'm very curious about what's it actually like to be a ballot counter
4: Of course. I mean, I would love to know that, too, even though the photos that I'm seeing of, like, people counting and stuff looks very stressful. It does. It does not look fun. Do you even get paid? Yeah, for sure you get paid.
2: Right? Because that's a a lot of work.
4: Yeah, you for sure got to get paid.
2: Yeah, I want to know what that's like, so we're going to be talking to someone to share their experience. The real
4: question is, is it enough?
2: Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Uh, That is tomorrow on the show, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, live right here on Channel Q. And again, we got the podcast. Ryan just talked about it on radio.com app. Search Let's Go There, as well as where all the podcasts are available. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Bye. Y'all have a wonderful night.